All right. Well, I mean, recorded by welcome to the podcast, Axel. What's going on, Jeremiah? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, now, before we begin, if anyone doesn't want to listen to me talk about my new business, then just skip ahead like two or three minutes. But basically, mkthrifting.com is a website that's designed to target the entrepreneur. So we go out to yard sales, flea markets, things like that. And we try to buy flippable products extremely cheap, like before we purchase it, or I say we, before I purchase it, um, I go online and I find that exact product at a certain price. And then I buy it at around 25% of that price. And then I put it up for half of the price. So we have like a 25% margin. That's not true on every single product, but uh, like I accidentally bought cards that I thought were um, more valuable than they were. And so now I'm getting like 49 cent profit on each deck <laughs> or whatever. Um, but we view it more as like a cert. We, I keep saying we, like I have a team here or something. It, it's just me. I view it more as a service-based business because we are selling products, but we're doing all the headache or we're doing all the footwork and we're removing the headache by finding the product online, recommending a sales price that you should try to sell it at. And then going to the stores or the flea markets or the yard sales or Facebook meetups or wherever, buying it and then putting it on our store for you to buy cheap enough to where you can have it mailed to you. And then all you have to do is list the product on whatever uh, platform you choose, Facebook, at the price we tell you to. Literally, all you have to do is click, comes to your house, sell it. So. That's my business idea. That's my website, mkthrifting.com. It's going to sit there the whole podcast and it'll be in my description. Um, it's a new business idea and it's an honest way of making a little bit of money for all parties involved. Check it out. All right. Well, how was that? Is that a pretty good little pitch? I feel like that was a great pitch. Um, This reminds me of this flea market I used to go to as a kid. It's still up and running. It's probably like maybe... 30, 40 ish minutes from my house. But um, it was called the Quaker Town Flea Market. And it was like every weekend or like every other weekend. And it was this huge, big, like massive global um, farmer's market. And there was this guy um, who had like a, and some like shop owners have like specific designated like areas they pay for. Like every month, they pay like $200 to have like their shop set up there. Mm -hmm. And um, this dude used to sell like um, war surplus. And he had like helmets, gas masks, jackets, grenades, um, weapons with the firing pins taken out. All these things from like World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, the occasional odds and ends of a World War I thing. Mostly stuff he got World War II wise would like sell out very quickly, but you could get helmets, jackets, um, patches, insignias, um, you know, a lot of uh, cool, genuine, real-life, historic things from that guy for, you know, a decent price. He would go, like, um, out, like, picking and hunting for these things. People would sell it to him if, like, you know, they didn't want any more. Maybe they're, like, grandfather's old helmet, stuff like that. So <laughs> there definitely are a lot of, like, cool, you know, uh, discounted military surplus things as well that a lot of people, historians especially, or young people who are into history would definitely spend a lot of money on. Yeah. I I noticed 
I mean, for me, it's actually kind of fun going to the flea markets. Uh, that's probably the funnest part of this whole idea. Um, it, you know, the boring part sitting on the computer and trying to list stuff and market stuff. I mean, the marketing is kind of cool, but going to the flea markets and seeing what people are selling. Some of it, like I went to this one guy's shop and it's just all autographed photos or collector Hot Wheel cars. Like It seems like every store had Hot Wheels. And I'm trying to think what else he had, but it was, it was like what you were saying. It wasn't necessarily war stuff, but it was just really old stuff like there and even local historical stuff. Like there was some famous singer that came from this part of Tennessee and they had a signed pair of his overalls when he worked the farms. That's <laughs> awesome. just selling. Yeah, it is cool, you know, but uh, I, fleet markets are just cool because you can go there and um sell anything that you normally couldn't sell like i mean what what kind of pawn shop's gonna buy a pair of overalls you know like signed by like yes the thing i like about um what are they called thing i like about flea markets is you go into the expectation of i'm just gonna look and you always leave buying something that you Mm -hmm. existed or you're like, holy shit, that like, that's real. Like, wow, I want that. Like something like vintage, something vinyl, something, someone's personal collection, maybe something from your childhood. I remember seeing like the old school, like uh, land before time DVD sets. These things were still on VCR. They had like old school, like action figures that you couldn't get anymore from like star Wars or you know, things that Mm -hmm. like, like uh, things that were like promotional toys that weren't necessarily sold through Star Wars, but like still made that you could buy at like Walmart or Target or whatever. Yeah. You know, things that like you could buy for like $10 then. Now you could resell it three, dollars $400 because it's like a vintage, you know, still in the box kind of thing. Yeah. Or if you want, if you have like a GameCube or a Nintendo 64 or something they don't make anymore and you need games for it, go to a flea market. Guarantee there's a shop there somewhere. That sells all the old school games. They used to have um, that same flea market. It was an inside and an outside. Um, I highly suggest if you're ever in Pennsylvania, you check it out. They um, they would sell Nintendo, um, GameCubes, the Game Boy Colored, Game Boy Advanced, Game Boy, like the regular Game Boy. They had Atari. They had that one where the, the controller's sort of like this. The old school one and like the sticks come mm. down like this. Yeah, yeah. They had uh they had that old school game where like Duck Hunt where you have like the little yeah. uh fake shotgun for the Atari. They had all these like old school classic games, and I'm like, wow, this stuff like still exists. PS ones, PS twos, you know. Yeah. And I feel like you know, growing up with that stuff, we kind of like took it for advantage. We're like, oh, we're done with the PS twos, go to the PS three. Let's go to the oh, we're done with PS twos, go to the PS four. I ended up buying a 360 um, maybe like six, seven months ago because I missed all the old school nostalgia games. I played yeah. The Godfather. I played the Scarface game, GTA 4. GTA 4 is mine. Yeah. You know, it's like all the old school games. I'm like, wow, like graphically speaking wise, these still hold up today. And gameplay wise, this is a lot better than what we are being given now. Buy all yeah. these AAA game titles back when I feel like companies had some integrity. Yeah, now shifting gears a little bit, uh, we talked about the Milsim community a little bit on the podcast before, and I don't want to get too deep into that because I feel like we'll lose a lot of people. But one thing I would talk about with 
Nemi, if you ever met him, Nemesis Empire from fourth. Um, mm-hmm. He was talking about how he thinks that the way leaders of these clans essentially conduct themselves inside this community online, like in this little video game, even though it's just a little virtual team and everything, that it's actually representative of your character. Like if you're like the shady, you know, um, used car salesman, not saying all are, but you know what I mean? Like snake, what what do they call it? Snake oil salesman or something like that. Like you're just like a bad dude. That's going to show in Milsim. Like you're not going to be the team that has like morals and standards and you only do things a certain way and things like that. But if you're a person like for me, um, I'm very systematic. I've noticed like I don't like breaking the system that's established. Um, but it's weird because I like I kind of have a bit of a problem with authority I don't respect and I don't like being put in a box or being but I like making a system and then using that system and then when people try to circumvent that right so like we had a guy you know in the team we would have an initial training that people would have to go through before they could become part of the team that was pretty thorough and we would have members that would come in and kind of work their way up and everything And then I would pressure them to get more people in and stuff like that. And they would want to circumvent it. They would want to make the initial training easier or they would want to maybe just kind of, I've even had a guy literally just bring people in. Like I trusted him enough to where I set him up so that he could just, he was controlling all that. And he wasn't even running the initial training. He was just bringing people in. And so do you think that maybe not even just Milsim, but the way you conduct yourself in a game is representative of your personality. That can go two ways, right? I play a role-playing game like Fallout, right? Or I play some RPG, Skyrim, Fallout, whatever. You know, maybe one playthrough, I want to be like a low honor, like killing everybody sort of individual. Another playthrough, I want to be high honor, do the right thing always, you know what I mean? Don't take shortcuts. I feel like with video games, you have that freedom to express yourself, how you feel, and not necessarily you're making, okay, I'm making myself Axel in this world. I'm making some other dude who's like, his name is like Patrick, for instance, right? And I'm like, okay, well, I think Patrick's sort of a bad guy. So let's go rob people. Let's go shoot people. Let's go work with the villain, you know, um, how you call them, like the villain faction, you know, what the game sort of morally portrays as bad. But at the end of the day, I think it really is how you perceive them. You know, maybe they're just a group of people that have been picked on and bullied and, you know, they're running, you know, renegade squadrons to try to like get back at the evil empire. You know what I mean? But then the empire is going to say, oh, we're actually the good guys. We're trying to restore order, this, that, and the third. So it really all depends yeah you know i i would agree with that i didn't think of that but i've done that a little bit before too in video games where i just kind of take a role on that isn't something how i'd conduct myself in real life just because why not you're on a video game right like might as well experiment with new there's no consequences i feel like you know yeah yeah like obviously in real life i'm not gonna wake up today go run over 50 people with my car like gta (laughs) and hop out and start shooting everybody or like you know what i mean i wouldn't do that but like maybe in like GTA, like you know what I mean? It's a video game, there's no consequence. But well, that's like but how I conduct myself in a game like that, 
I would conduct myself in real life. Yeah. When the what do you think start- about? Uh, I'm sorry. Go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, what do you think about kid like that whole argument that kids playing video games with you know gun violence and stuff like that encourages them to you know do man like go into schools and shoot people and stuff like that. Perfect example. 2007, Halo 3, picked it up from my local Blockbuster. Blockbuster. I'm born born in 98, and I'm going to Blockbuster every, like, weekend or every other weekend because Blockbuster games you can only rent for about two weeks out, a week out. And I used to rent video games from Blockbuster. And it's 2007. I'm about 11 years old because I was born in 98. So that put me at, what, 11, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll put him about 11, 12, 11, 12 years old. Yeah, we, and, we don't need to do math. Yeah, just, just yeah. spitball. And yeah. um, <laughs> I see Halo 3 on the shelves. Never played Halo 1, never played Halo 2, but Halo was apparently like, you know what I mean? It looked cool. I saw this dude in like a big armored suit with this like alien space gun. And I was like, Mom, can I like rent this? And she's like, Sure. And the guy's like, It traded M, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, for like, blood and violence and stuff like that and my mom was like cool whatever she was like just behave don't like repeat any of the words you hear on there i'm like all right whatever and i played halo through the campaign at like 11 12 years old i beat it a year later modern warfare comes out the original modern warfare call of duty 4 comes out i played call of duty 3 as a kid i played call of duty 2 on my 360 you know what i mean i even played call of duty 1 all these are at the time, they were rated T. It wasn't until Modern Warfare came that it was rated M for whatever reason. And I've never hurt anybody. I played GTA 4 and 5 when it came out back when I was like 14, 15. I never fed, said to myself, ooh, let me steal a car like GTA. Ooh, let me like shoot this you know, woman like GTA. Let me go do all these crimes like I see in my video games. I never once... Like I said, you know, 11, 12 years old, tried to go into school and shoot it up because I played Halo and I wanted to be just like Master Chief. I feel like... even thought about it, right? Correct. Never even thought about it. If anything, the only thing that really had a uh, impact was Call of Duty was, oh, I want to join the military. Like, it looks so cool. Like, look at all these guys and their cool gear and like special forces. That's the only thing I feel like video games really ever had that impact on me was I want to join the military. It looks so fun in a video game. Sets like false perceptions. I think yeah. especially in Milsim, because it wasn't just video game characters. We were actually in the presence of people who were in the military. Um, yeah. In, it, in the Milsim community, it seemed like most of the time you either were in the military or you wanted to join the military or you were fascinated by the military in some way. And then there's probably the smaller percent that just thought it was fun, you know? Yeah. But. I um growing up me personally I always like Saving Private Ryan was my favorite movie I always loved World War II like the history and everything about it all the World War II video games everything I really liked World War II for whatever reason and like that's even as a kid from like second grade third grade you know what I mean mm-hmm. but um I never like let my obsessions like be like all right now I gotta mimic it in real life by like doing what they did kind of thing you know yeah so, one second, let me get this jacket on. It, yeah. Sorry, it's a little chilly in here, man. <laughs> it's all good. I feel like people that um actually do those things are just 
A, using it as an excuse to exact how they actually feel. Because maybe they're just like, a, they've always been crazy, you know? Or, um, like, well, yeah, that's more or less it. I feel like certain people have always been a little bit mentally not there. Yeah. And that's why they tend to enact these things and do these things, you know? Yeah. Maybe very sheltered people finally experience like a video game like that and it completely breaks them. They don't know how to behave because they've been sheltered their whole life. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I feel like it's just like anything like guns or weed or alcohol. I think it's all about balance. So, you know, back when I was 16 through 19, probably, I spent an unhealthy amount of time on Xbox. Now it's very reduced, but I can't say it was completely meritless because I've met up with five people from the Milsom team, actually, um, in real life, like met up with Czech in Germany uh, two times. And I met up with some guy in Milan, Italy from the team that was yeah, I got him really drunk um because he's like a really broke college kid or whatever that was just going to school in Milan and I wasn't rich or anything but I had my paycheck for the military and we just got yeah. super drunk and then uh Jack Bujahideen um Mean Bean Mad Firefighter whatever I don't know if you recognize any of those names but he came to my infantry graduation because he was in the infantry too and he had told me that like whenever i was talking about joining he's like if you actually do join and you graduate i'll come to your graduation and he did he brought his wife two kids i met up with mohan and i've met up with lurch so i've <laughs> lurch isn't in my milsom team but um you know he's still from milsom and i, I met up with him and yeah. when i went to go visit jacob uh my little brother who's in Stationed in North Carolina is currently in Norway. So shout out to Jacob. I wanted to throw that out there in case he's listening. But while I was visiting him, I went and met up with Lurch. Uh, that was pretty cool. We only got to meet up once. Um, but he took me to his favorite wing shop in town, basically. That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, he's, he's pretty cool, man. He, uh, I just drank a bunch of coffee and then I ate something small. I wasn't hungry, but he was eating. I didn't want him to feel weird. So yeah, <laughs> um. it's nice when you can like separate the game from the person, you know? Yeah. And I feel like there's no awkward, like, Oh, this is the first time we're meeting. Cause it's just, it's just like Xbox. You're just now in a physical presence. Yeah. Now for me, I, I do normally like with you, it feels a little bit more normal. I think just cause I've seen videos of you before, but mm. normally, even if I see a picture of the person, Still, it's a little weird associating the voice with the face, but naturally your mind begins to associate the two like, pretty quick. Two, yeah, it's um, usually just like the first little bit. It's a little yeah. awkward. And then after you that, remember, yeah. you remember Steven Ovi plays. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. met up with him when I went home on leave. He came over like two out of the like five weekends I was home and we partied huh. like Friday, Saturday, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday like two, three weeks in a freaking row. And you would come take the train down from Jersey, from uh, New York to Jersey. I'd pick him up in Jersey, about like 45 minutes away from my house. And we would just party the whole weekend, chill out, have fun, do whatever. And it was just all very natural. And, you know, I have a bunch of photos with me and him. I've met a firehouse dog. 
56 in real life, you know, me and him like went to the mall and hanging out with him because he's such like a more older guy. It felt like I was like hanging out with my uncle, like the really cool uncle. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like none yeah. of this felt weird. Um, a bunch of my uh, lifelong friends from Xbox who ended up living about an hour away from me in Jersey. Um, we link up all the time when I'm home and we've all hung out. You know, my buddy James, he uh, ended up going to college about 45 minutes away from me in Rowan to Philadelphia. And he came over like same Steve every weekend. Steven came down. He came down as well. They all spend the night and we all just go out and have a big party for the weekend. Yeah. That's the thing. I'd love to meet up with you guys too, man. But unfortunately, we're just, we never cross paths really. Like you guys are up in, up north and I'm over here in Tennessee. But I mean, there's, oh, I'm now living in Maryland. So I don't know how far that is from DC from you. But if you ever wanted to meet up, I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I could somehow get people to come out to where I'm at, we don't really have much of a nightlife in East Tennessee. I mean, Johnson City has some, uh, cool little spots that's probably the biggest nightlife thing we have but we're we're kind of like in the middle of a bunch of different hot spots so pigeon forge like a big huge uh tourist place what part right of there. The tennessee do you live in i'm over in like the kingsport johnson city rogersville kind of area and uh but if i could get people to come out here we wouldn't necessarily have the nightlife on our side but my family has a big chunk of land somewhere out here and you know i like we can go get a giant bonfire fish drink whatever to be honest you're only about seven hours away from me really i didn't realize that you were that close like six hours and like 50 some odd minutes oh but up to seven hours because like i said i'm in southern maryland now i'm about an hour south of dc yeah bro i mean if you got a couple buddies and uh split gas or whatever split a hotel room and then we could probably make something happen you know i don't know how many xbox people you got near you but Hmm? no for sure like um zach and jordan them they could come down for the weekend and we'll just drive up that'd be dope yeah i'd like that we can definitely make these things work the um i remember when i was pcsing from washington to maryland i was going back home first and i think i took me my buddy uh, Ziggity and Wiggity, they both flew out and we drove in three and a half days from Washington State all the way to Pennsylvania. Oh. And we hit Oregon, Nevada, Utah, uh, Wyoming, Nebraska, Iowa, yeah. um, you know, all the Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and PA. We had all these states in just three days, just chugging through each of us pulling like six hour shift yeah well and by the time you guys had actually come down i should have my own place by then i currently have the dinero set aside like i can move out today if i wanted to but i've got two different places i'm looking at like one's like a one-bedroom apartment that's kind of last resort it'll work but it, you know you guys could like share the living room if you just wanted yeah. to save money or you could get a hotel room or whatever but there's another person I'm looking at um, that's looking for a roommate. I actually met him at the gym. He's like an older dude, pretty chill, pretty, you know, he just kind of wants a quiet roommate that ain't going to cause too much ruckus and yeah, pay him of issues. Yeah. like 500 bucks a month or 700 or whatever. 
but he has a full-on house and he's talking about giving me a room and then he's got like a whole basement he's turned into a room and i'm sure he'd be cool with me you know as long as i just i'm cool with him and i'm just like letting him know ahead of time like hey man you know i got some buddies coming into town is there any way they could just like stay in the basement downstairs yeah for a couple of days i think he'd be cool with it as long as you guys didn't like get drunk and break stuff but no, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah but and that was the cool thing about check man is uh he lives in a house where it's kind of i think it's called a duplex where it's like split down the middle in half yeah and yeah and so his family owned one side and his uncle owned the other side and it was three stories but it was, it was kind of a smaller house but it was tall and uh, yeah. he turned the attic into an airbnb and his uncle was just like, oh, you're a friend of my nephew. Yeah, you could just stay up there while you're over here. It's no big deal. That's, like, awesome. that's, that's dope. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck's definitely like a really good host because um, he's like the town he's in. It's a really small German town, but everyone's really friendly. Everyone knows each other. He knows all the bar owners. So even when my COVID vaccine card wasn't really working um, because the army said I had to wait six months, but Germany said you had to have your like. 28th booster within three months of your whatever yeah, um we couldn't really go to the mainstream bars but like all the small mom and pop places they're like we don't give a shit just call on yeah in. he's like oh a friend of chuck come on come on in you know like yeah i don't know why they're rushing now but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no i got you yeah um, that's um like when my buddies came to visit i had um a spare guest room and i had the basement and then if like my parents were ever out of town I would stay in my parents' bedroom, give one person the guest bedroom, give one person my room, and then I have a fully furnished basement, so there's couches and everything, and I just gave everybody pillows and blankets, and I was like, all right, see you all in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely something I want whenever I get my own place. I, it'd be dumb for me to try to get a big place now. I'd just waste all the money I make. But eventually, yeah, I mean, we both have access to that VA loan, and I know there's better options out there, but... I can just go get a house and I would definitely, uh, I definitely tell you take that VA loan, take all that money you're saving. I'd say get a house. Yeah. And then yeah. if you own the house, you can be the one to run it out to people with the other rooms and things like that. Yeah. My, my goal is like by the end of my bachelor's degree, I want to have my own house. Um, I think that's hundred percent doable. Yeah. Cause like right now I, I've been listening a lot to, uh, Dave Ramsey and then my dad, um, you know, he, my dad's been pretty successful with money and stuff. And like, he's bought houses his whole life and everything. And he's telling me there's something called loan insurance. So if you don't put 20% down, you have to pay a premium each month that basically ensures that the your bank. loan will be repaid. Yeah. So he's saying like, yeah, you can just go get a house, but you're going to be just throwing a bunch of money to the wind until you get 20% of it paid off. It's like, so I'd say probably wait until you get 20% and, and then buy yeah. the house. Yeah. And D Dave Ramsey says, uh, you should get, you shouldn't get one unless it's 20% down. It's a 15 year agreement, not a 30 year. And it doesn't exceed, I think the monthly payment, like the minimum doesn't exceed 25% of your monthly income. So like he's saying you should pay it off within five to seven years. But just in case you get in a bind, it should always be low enough to where you can meet it pretty easily. You know? Yeah, within so, a time frame. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, 
that's kind of where I'm at. I got that MK thrifting, a random gumball machine in a barbershop somewhere in town. And this podcast that like doesn't make any money. The, my biggest money earner right now is a gumball machine in a random barbershop that makes me 50 cents a week. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. That... It's okay. That's, that's how it goes. You know, you gotta, you gotta fail a bunch before you, you know, you get your win, but Exactly. Everybody always sees like, oh, like Jeff Bezos is this millionaire. This guy's a billionaire. This had a third, but it's like, you know what I mean? Everybody starts off somewhere. Nothing's just handed to you unless you come from someone who's already rich. Yeah. And I can't remember that guy's name. Um, he's like, it's kind of a big deal right now. He's like some, I think he's a billionaire. He's like 30 something. I'm not talking about Tate. Um, I'm talking about this other guy. And he runs a website, I think it's called acquisition.com. And he has a book that was a dollar and he's going on all these podcasts and he has his own channel and stuff. But one thing he talks about that I actually thought was pretty interesting was when he approaches a problem, like he's like, he, he went viral for saying this thing on Twitter and it was along the lines of how to stay poor. Mm -hmm. And so he would say, it, like instead of telling people how to get rich he tells them how to be poor He's yeah like, well if i want to be poor the first thing or one of the things i probably do is i'd try to start a business and then when it fails i just give up and never try again and you're thinking of uh alex hormazi right yeah Remember? yeah yeah that's the guy yeah. yeah um and he's like if i wanted to stay poor forever i'd probably spend a bunch more money than i make so i'd get a lot of debt if I wanted to stay poor forever, I wouldn't take any risks. I'd live very conservatively, you know, and I just work a nine to five and then pay my bills and that'd be it, you know, and he just keeps going through all these things. But his point is when instead you try to like, if you, the things that stick out to us are negative things, the threats, you know, cause like, you know, naturally that's what stands out to us as humans is, you know, what's a threat, what's not a threat like, Oh, that, is probably going to hurt me. I need to watch that. We're not really thinking about the good things. We're thinking about the negative things. So he says it's easier. Instead of asking yourself, how do I become rich? Ask yourself, how do I become poor? And then just do the opposite of whatever it is that will keep That's me poor. Poor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like with MK thrifting, I'm like, okay, if I wanted to stay poor or if I wanted this business to fail, how would it fail? Well, I'd probably not spend any money on marketing. I wouldn't try to market it at all. Um, as soon as I didn't get any progress within a week, I'd probably just give up and not try anymore. Exactly. And if I'd probably overprice the products because I wanted to get greedy and I wanted to keep the money. Probably short um, the short the seller, short the middleman, try to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a snake oil salesman. Yeah, and I'd probably not care if a customer felt like they were ripped off. I wouldn't really care about customer service. Uh, and then, of course, what does that mean? You just do the opposite of all that. Exactly. And I, I just found that really interesting when he laid it out that way, that you should approach a problem with a reverse or with the opposite attitude instead of how do I fix this is like, how do I not fix this? You know? How you make things worse. Yeah. yeah. It's reverse psychology almost like, how can I take a situation, make it worse? Okay, so if I don't do that, I'll end up making the situation better. Yeah. That's true, yeah. And then there's Dan Bilzerian. Um, 
I'm just kidding. I don't really, I, I don't hate the guy. I don't hate the guy. I'm not saying anything bad about him. I've only seen one, or I've only seen two videos, I think, with him. One was when he was on the Joe Rogan show. That's how I found out about him. And then I went and clicked on his channel and I saw him messing with all these like girls. He had like some supermodel chick in a bikini and he offered her 10 grand if she could run a mile in like four minutes or something. And she works out, but yeah. she ain't running all the yeah. time, you know? And so she gets on there and she's just running, 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 running. And she ran fast, but she didn't get the four minutes. He's just over there laughing with his 10 grand in his hand. I'm like, oh, dude. The games you can play when you have money. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Exactly. Now it's now now that you have the money, it's how do you keep the money? How do you make more money? And how do you not let that money change you? You know? Yeah, that's that's the hard part. Cause uh I think one thing that happens when you get money, and I don't know this from experience because I got like 2K in savings, bro. I'm like broke. Yeah, um, I don't even have savings. I just have everything in a checking account. I just don't overspend. Yeah. So. And, but I, I figure what happens is, first of all, every, cause like to get that kind of wealth, you have to sacrifice a lot. Yeah. And yet that's how you earned the ability to have that kind of money. But then other people who weren't willing to make those same sacrifices, weren't willing to work as hard as you were, gave up when you didn't. Now they're envious and now they're jealous. And sometimes those are family members. Sometimes those are friends. And you could become hostile towards that because you feel it inside of you. And maybe you don't have the maturity to realize what's going on or the ability to articulate what's going on to the people that are acting that way. But I feel like a lot of times people don't see that coming, even though it's like in every rich person story ever. Yeah. And they become combative towards those family members or those friends. And then everyone says they changed, but really they were just it's jealous. Yeah. One and, thing, yeah. one thing about like that whole jealousy and everything, right? Jealousy can sort of make people like, you know, do silly things or like get yourself involved in something that you shouldn't. And I remember having this conversation with my boss um, when I was home on leave, you know, I like, you know, picked up extra shifts or whatever, like at the club I used to work at. I was a security guard at a strip club. And he always told me, um, it's cool to be square. You know what I mean? And we had a long conversation and more or less he said, you know, you see the guys in high school or you know what I mean? Or maybe when you graduate, they're selling drugs. They have all the money, all the women, all the cars. They look nice. They dress nice and all that stuff. But where are they? Five. 10, 15 years down the line, not even five, 10, 15 years. Where are they next year? Where are they in the next two or three years, you know, dead in jail. Some of them, you know, became addicted to their own drugs that they were selling. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you get arrested, they lose it all. They're like doing the next 10, 15 years in jail, you know? And so he said, it's cool to be square. It's cool to do the right thing because, you know, you'll get farther in life that way. I feel like you might take the shortcut now and you'll get the jump ahead. But what happens when, you know, people get arrested, you know, what happens when you get shot, you know, and what happens when you die, you, you lose all of it, you know, and there's nothing you can give to anybody else because you're not there anymore. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of these people see all these, you know, rich, successful people and they're like, oh, that's going to be me. 
like, you know, I'm going to jump in the streets. I'm going to get it by any means possible. And they don't go about anything the right way. And I feel like this new generation, they just want everything handed to them. Yeah. Or they just want to jump the gun and you know what I mean? That was a big thing I had to kind of get over was like the passive income trap. Or at least that's how I look at it now. Not to say that passive income isn't real. Like obviously if you make a book or if you're a content creator and you post your content, that content will always earn you money and you only did the work once. But a lot of people only want passive income because they don't want to have to work. It's like, well, how about you worry about making a lot of money through earned income or not earned income because obviously you still earn it, but through active working. I don't know what the term is, but like, why don't you try boosting that as much as you can before you worry about passive income? Maybe once you get life experience or something, you can write a book interesting enough to to earn you some passive income, but everyone's like you're saying, yeah. just wanting I think it's active, something handed active to them. Is the word you're looking for. It, what is it? Exactly. Uh, I think it's active income because you're actively pursuing it. The passive income, you don't have to do the same content over and over and over again. It's just coming in from that one source of content. Yeah. You know, like we don't have to remake this same stream 30 times over to get 30 times the amount of streams. People just yeah, watch yeah. this one video 30 times, you know? Yeah. But, um, that's the problem these days. Nowadays, it's it's very easy to become a content creator. I feel like, you know, in terms of content, everything is so saturated now, you know? Yeah, podcasts are hard to... Can you hear me? I think, uh, I think some... Yeah, like can you hear me still frozen. or no? Can you hear me? You're getting a little frozen on my end. Yeah, it's a little... Your screen's frozen. Can you hear me? Like, can you hear my audio? All right. Okay. All right. It looks like we're back. I've never had that happen before. Um, I'm assuming the recording just paused and then resumed, but yeah, I was actually going to say that, you know, cause I'm on rumble too. And the reason I'm on rumble is because they have better censorship practices in my opinion than YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, we could say basically anything we want. I mean, not anything, but we could say a lot more and it be allowed to exist on rumble than it does on YouTube. Yeah. Like curse on YouTube. Yeah, and I but the thing is, like I posted to Rumble and it's supposedly really good for you know the little guys, and I get like nothing on there, like not no views. Like on this, even when I first started, I'd still get like 12 views. I don't even get that. I get like I think my most my highest viewed video is like four, and then there's a bunch of videos that just don't even have a single view. And so I started researching a little bit, like what's going on, you know, what why is that? And apparently they changed their policy or something and it takes them a month or two to approve a video for monetization and all that. And some guy in, in the Reddit I was reading was saying, well, the little guys lose again. And I was thinking, yep. yeah, because they were talking about how the bigger podcasts get their stuff approved in a day. I was like, yeah, but I think that's the wrong attitude. I think that's like victim mentality stuff there because... Yeah, like, oh, well, I'm I'm a little guy. I'm always going to be the little guy. It's like, yeah, you don't get self-pushed and become the bigger guy. Yeah, because those big podcasts, they were little podcasts at one point. Those big, huge corporations were tiny little mom-and-pop shops at one point. Everyone started at a small place. So, like, I think the wrong question or the wrong thing to say is, like, they somehow have an advantage or whatever. You know, the right answer is how do I do what or how do I get to where they're at? yeah um and one thing 
one thing I wanted to bring up from my earlier conversations, I feel like the market nowadays for content creation is so saturated. Anybody with a phone, anybody with a camera or whatever, oh, I want to be the next Andrew Tate. I want to be the next Joe Rogan. I want to be the next David Dobrik. I want to be the next Mr. Beast. I want to be the next X, Y, and Z. Nobody wants to be themselves anymore. Nobody wants to be creative. Anybody can easily take their phone, set it up on a tripod, little ring camera. Hi, guys. I'm so-and-so. And I'm going to be doing my makeup. And they're doing the same exact thing that the next person's doing. There's no creativity. There's no anything unique that stands out. They just see what's worked for other people, and they try to copy it just with their own persona. And that's what doesn't work. And I feel like music, movies, TV shows, podcasts, TikTokers, whatever you want to call them, social influencers, that's a thing now. It's uh, it's saturated, you know? Hmm. And it's very uh, 15 seconds of fame. You're in the news for a month and that's it, you know? And then you're like, oh, I wonder like what happened to this person? Where'd they go? And you see they're like, all their TikTok now is like posting ads for like DoorDash or posting ads for like, oh, use my code. Like, yeah, you know, Andrew Tate five for like 20% off on like your DoorDash order. You know, they don't last long. They have no lasting impression. But all these people didn't just come out of nowhere overnight. They've always been around for a while. You know, it's just they were unique and they stood out. Like, think about it. Cutie Pie, um, Achievement Hunter, you know, anybody can record themselves playing a video game, but mm-hmm. what made these people stand out? What made, you know, this music artist you listen to stand out? What made this TikToker stand out? What got Andrew Tate famous, you know? Well, and with each person, I mean, and this is specific to podcasts, but with each person you do a podcast with, you improve. Like, look at Joe Rogan stuff. That's part of what motivates me is like, I love Joe Rogan, but like his first podcast sucked. Like, I mean, I don't know where the number is that it got better, but I mean, easily 300 and below kind of sucked, you know? Yeah. But he didn't give up. He just kept doing it and he didn't really care about the money. I mean, he was already doing pretty well and he just, they didn't even really expect it to work out. He just was really, you know, um, what would the word be? Stimulated by all the guests that he was bringing on. You know, he's bringing on all these like great thinkers and stuff and and things like that. So to me, that's like, I told myself before I ever stop doing podcasts, I'm going to get to a hundred. And then I also try to focus on the thing I'm doing rather than the clicks I'm getting, if that makes sense. So like, I try to focus on this, like, instead of me thinking, if I talk about this, maybe I'll get these kind of views or maybe, you know, things like that. I just try to think, oh, I'm just having a conversation with a friend we're just talking and I enjoy this. And if it gets views, great. If it doesn't, um, I'm not too bothered. I mean, obviously I'd love for it to get views, but you know, I'm not going to sit here and lose sleep over it. And same thing with the business, rather than focusing on just making a bunch of money, um, let that be a side effect of the thing you're actually trying to accomplish, which is buying things cheap enough to where you can sell it cheap enough to where they can get it and then put it back on the market for the price you tell them to put it on and make money themselves. Focus on the service, you know, rather than just like, how much money did I make today? Which you need, you need to do that too. But like your main, your primary focus should always be the activity of your focus. I'm having trouble articulating that, but. No, I understand hundred percent what you're saying. 
Yeah. About you, have you ever um, started up a little hustle or how with the strip club? Mm -hmm. Did you ever actually have to like do your job or were you mainly there just as a deterrent and you never really had any issues? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, the way my job worked, right? Um, so I had the main goal of, you know, I showed up, did my job, whatever, you know, security, I'm here as a presence. That's it. Right. Yeah. Tell us what it's like to be a security guard at a strip club. So me personally, I always dressed for the job I wanted, not the job I had, if that makes sense. Yeah. Fake it till you make it kind of. Uh, Not fake it till you make it, but you know, I'm security. I want to be dressing myself up in a very um, mature, you know. Um, you don't look like a guest. Like you look like, like an employee, kind of professional. There was a lot of people, I'd say that I worked with, that you know they'd show up in like sweatpants, mm. baggy clothes. You know what I mean? Like they look like sloppy. Yeah. You know they'd show up in like sweatpants, baggy clothes, not really like caring. They look like shit. You know, someone you wouldn't take serious. You know, and I saw that and I'm like, I don't want to look like that. You know, like fucking uh, cargo pants, black boots and a hoodie thrown over or like some like sleeveless like polo shirt. You know what I mean? Like that didn't look professional to me. Me, I would throw on a suit. You know, I'd have my thing buttoned up. I wouldn't wear a tie because you don't want something yanking on your tie. But I wear a button up suit, dress shoes, and I'd walk around like professional, like the managers would walk around looking like. And, you know. Um, you could tell I worked there cause I like just carried myself in a very like, uh, professional presence. You know, I wasn't like a lot of these guys, they would just be, like be late. Like a lot of the guys who worked, they would just be like laid back, chilling, just looking like not really giving a fuck on their phone, texting, you know, and the managers wouldn't say anything to you, but they would just kind of look. And this is a conversation me and my manager had. And he was like, he's like, I don't say a lot, but I see a lot. And so he was like, you dress professional, you come to work. I always came to work about 30 minutes early. You know what I mean? Chilled in the parking lot, whatever, listening to music, just like hanging out. And then I'd go in about 10 minutes early, wait till my time, clock in. People wouldn't come to like 30, 40 minutes late, just not giving a fuck. Are you talking about the girls mainly? No, I'm talking about the guys that work security. Oh, okay. Yeah, this the oh, I so they would come in like sweatpants and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the girls, and then they come. No, and I'm they talking about and... strictly security. Oh, will come no. in looking like shit. So security will wear these like big ass like black combat boots, black sweatpants, maybe a black polo like short sleeve t shirt or like a pullover hoodie, and they just be chilling there on the phone, texting, not caring, all this like shit's going on. They just trying to, you know what I mean? They're just there to pick up a check. Me personally, I wanted to dress nice. I want to dress for the part. The girls, we don't worry about the girls and how they come, you know, because they're going to get changed and all that. It's, that's regardless. But did you ever have any issues with security people harassing the girls? Like, did you ever see any of that? Uh, there, it definitely happens. I wouldn't say harassing, but they try to like, you know, oh, she's a stripper. She'll probably let me have sex with her, blah, 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 because I work there. And they get a little bit too creepy and a little bit too handsy. But um, nothing like, you know what I mean? That's all handled at manager's level and they're kicked mm -hmm. out. Did you receive any training for security or was it just kind of like, hey, come on in and just hang out and if you see a problem, do um, something? 
my manager, he really took a, um, he looked at me, you know, I had no security experience. I'm maybe 21 years old. You know, I just on a whim woke up one day and was like, I wonder what it'd be like to do like strip club security. I'm one of these people where like, I'll wake up with an idea and I'll just run with it, you know, see what happens. The worst I can say is no, I don't like that mentality of, you know what I mean? I don't know if I can, so I won't. I'll, you know what I mean? I'll self push mm-hmm. the envelope. I'll see what I can do. And he's like, do you have any experience? I'm like, I'm really great at talking to people and like debating and diffusing issues. And he said, the world's security nowadays, they don't want big guys who can throw people out. That's lawsuits. That's, you know, issues. That's money lost. That's interesting. They want, they want um, more smaller, not smaller, but more like, you know, less physically intimidating. Like, yo, listen to myself, beat you up more. Hey man, like, how's it going? Like, what's the issue? Is there any way I can help you? Like, blah, blah, blah. Or like, Hey buddy, you had too much to drink. Like, do you mind come with me? Like, we're going to get you right out of here. They don't want, um, you know, big six foot two, 300 pound dude, like punching on you and all that stuff. Almost like what they want police officers to do. They always try to train them to de-escalate rather than use the minimal force necessary. Now, of course, you're going to want your big guy, you know, you're going to have like one or two big guys for when something does happen. Like maybe you'll want him at the door in case someone tries to like do something or not. You're always going to want your big guys, but they want you to be more communicative. And he said he took a risk on me because I showed promise. And the thing is, sometimes you have the little guy who's got a lot to prove. He's a hothead. Sometimes you got the big guy. He's all brains, no, or he's all bronze, no muscle, you know, and those aren't yeah. good. You know I mean? You don't want somebody who's trying to prove themselves. Somebody who's going to try to be a hero. Someone who's going to try to, you know, you need someone kind of street smart. Yeah. But you don't want someone who's going to like, um, like we had a guy who got kicked out for selling weed in the club, you know? <laughs> so they should have kept him around. They probably got customers that way. <laughs> no, this, um, my, uh, the, um, my manager was like an ex corrections correction officer, ex like, um, law enforcement. So he liked things by the book. He liked things. That's interesting. So the manager of the strip club was ex law enforcement. Yeah, he was a uh, head law enforcement. He did, I think, correctional facilities, correctional officer. But um, his uh, family was, you know, military, Navy. And I feel like that's what, like, really helped us out. Because he was always the strictest, scariest manager. But he always, like, I feel like took a special liking to me because I was joining the Navy. And I remember I came back and I'm like, hey, I'm home for about a month. Like, can I work two weeks with you guys? And he was like, yeah, come on in. Like, I'll let you in, blah, blah, blah. And we had these like long, like hour long in-depth discussions, like during work, he would like pull me off shift to like, just talk to me like one-on-one about life and shit. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to say I was probably a lot of these people that work there, like that's their only job or they work a second job. They're just like trying to make money and they're not necessarily like your smartest people. They're just like big, you know, brolicky guys that can like beat somebody up and they just show up to work to chase the girls and like, you know what I mean? Get money. But like I always, oh sorry, go on. But I always had the mentality of like I want to be a manager one day, and so when um I was working there, we talked, and he said, yeah, when I come back after the military, if I want to be a manager there, he'll get me the job. So, well, that's pretty cool. Um, now the girls, are the girls, and I'm sure this is just dependent on the club, but like if the club you were working at, were they more? 
team like? Like, did they work together, try to help each other out? Was there training? Like, did they ever train how to do certain moves on the pole or how to talk to one of the customers or how to lead them into a, the bet? Like, think like in sales, for example, because essentially that's what they're doing. They're selling themselves. Yeah. But in sales, that we would do a lot of role playing. Like, you know, I knock on the door, you know, manager answers it. Hi, I'm um, Jeremiah with so and so. They do any training like that, or is it very competitive and they're always just, you know, screwing over the other girls? I wouldn't say screwing over the other girls, but let's say a customer prefers a white girl, customer prefers a black girl, customer prefers a Hispanic girl. Why would, you know, the white girl waste her time with the customer who only wants a black girl, you know? Why would a customer, you know what I mean? I wouldn't say it's necessarily sales. It's more of a magic show. You're giving the option of illusion, you know? making think that the guy's in control, making the guy think that you like them or making the guy think like, you know what I mean? They own you or their body's yours whole time. You're just taking their money and you're off to the next. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? The whole thing is an optical illusion. You know, these girls, they're normal girls. They go to college. You know what I mean? They're Some of them have kids. Some of them are married to husbands. Some of them, you know... Like this one girl I know, she hangs out with like rappers and ball players and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, she's like a normal girl. She has hobbies, she has interests, she like likes to do X, Y, and Z, you know? All these girls aren't like, you know, they're they're sexualized, but none of them really want to have sex with the customer, you know? Like 99.9% of them do not want to fuck you. And like the point one percent that do, they're doing it for money you know, not for anything else. Yeah. A lot of people seem to get that confused. Oh, here's like $500 come home with me. And they're like, no, buddy. They'll (laughs) tell you like, they'll tell you like, Oh yeah. I'd like, I'd go on a date with you. They would, are they going to know, but they'll tell it's very key words. I would, I'll think about it. That sounds fun, Bob. You know what I mean? So-and-so to get you hooked, but it's all fantasy at the end of the Mm -hmm. day. At the end of the day, this girl's going home in like sweatpants, sweatshirts, and Uggs. I'm walking them to their cars, you know? And sometimes they'll give you money for like being a nice person, like walking them to the car. What You know what I mean? One girl, um, this one girl, her uh, friend was supposed to pick her up and they never came. And so I was just like, hey, like if you want, I can give you guys a ride uh, to where we need to go. And they gave me like $100 to take them 10 minutes up the street, you know? Because they're just like very generous people. They're very nice people. All these people have personalities and lives outside of this. And, you know, a lot of them uh, became my close work friends. Like I'd see them in the club, like, hey, what's going on, girl? Like, you know what I mean? Just chatting it up. But um, I wouldn't let that like distract me from work. And when yeah. I was working, you know, there's always ways to make money. You're in a strip club. The, that place is a money trap. That's where money is made to be spent. Not, you know what I mean? It's made for money to be spent. The customers spend money and I make money. Mm -hmm. Let's say you come in and you're like, hey, what's up? I'm Jeremiah. As security, people don't want to be like, don't do this. Don't do that. Listen to me. People want to be catered to, you know, and that's what I feel like a lot of people are understanding. People want to be catered to. So I would walk up. Hey, how you doing, man? My name's Axel. I work here. If you need anything, please feel free to let me know. I appreciate it. Have a good day. And I would go, you know, walk around. They're like, hey, I like that guy. Like he was like, nice to me. Hey, what's going on, man? Shake him up, whatever. I know this one dude, his name was, he was an Asian dude. His name was V. Every time he'd come through, he'd give me $20. Mm-hmm. 
just because I would like, you know, shake his hand, talk to him, ask how his like uh, family's doing, like his mom and shit, you know, like ask how he was in life, if you need anything, like you need me to get you a drink, anything good, no. And they'd extend the same hospitality. They're like, hey, man, come here. I'm like, what's going on? So is everything good? He's like, yeah, you know, like, I just see you working hard. You're being real cool. You want to drink or anything? And I, you know, of course, we're like, oh, I'll take a water or anything. I can't really drink while I'm on the job. You know, some people would offer to buy me food. And I'd be like, what kind of girls do you like? Oh, I like white girls. I like blondes. You know, his Oh, because they'll keep it real with you. They may not want to hurt the girl's feelings or whatever. Yeah, like, and they'll, they'll tell me they'll what they you. like. So yeah. I'm like, all right, bet. And I'll walk over. And I'll grab like so and so. I'll be like, "Yo, Susie Q, homeboy Rare said he's interested in you. I'll escort her to him. Let's say he spends like a hundred dollars on her. She'll come back and give me like twenty. Wow! So you're whatever. you're helping them and make so, money too. Exactly. So it's a it's a it's a system, right? Yeah. The customer's happy. He spends money on the girls he well, wants. Well, and you're in a position of influence because you're his friend now. So like. If, exactly. So you, not only can you help other people make money, but if there is a problem. He's more receptive to listening to you now. Like, hey, bro, look, we're cool, man. You know, I don't want a problem, but you're acting a little too over the top right now. You know? yeah. yeah. And I give people the illusion of um, I work for them. I work for the club at the end of the day. My manager's like, put this guy out on his ass. I'm putting him out on his ass. Mm-hmm. But it's the illusion of I'm here for you. I'm here to cater to you. I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. At the end of the day, these girls are my priority. I'm making sure they're safe. You know, now would you ever coach them, like tell them, hey, listen, my job is security and I take it serious, but there's a few things you need to not do to help me do my job. Like, for example, I'm trying to think, like, if you are having a problem in one of the booths, throw your heel out and that'll be my signal to come in and get you out of there. Or Um, was there anything like that? Any keywords or secrets or anything like that? So the way it works is you have the $20 a song room, right? And it's like couches in like a a U-shape or maybe even an L-shape, right? And there's like an each like little like cushion, you know, uh, for like each separate dance person. They kind of like dance with you. And we'd have to like go back there, check anything going on. Nope. All right, cool. Keep it pushing. But, you know, normally a girl would say something. There was an issue, you know. Now, sometimes girls would lie, you know, just to get more money Uh, out of somebody or, you know, sometimes customers would lie. You know what I mean? You really have to you have to listen more than react. Right. Don't always assume the girl's right. Don't always assume the customer's right. Don't always assume. You know what I mean? Like this one girl. She told this one dude like, oh, yeah, like, um, oh, that was like six songs. Give me this amount of money. He goes, that was only five songs. And she's like, well, I don't care. I'm telling you, like, I want more money. And so she'd go to one of us. Hey, this dude was, like, jerking off, like, to me dancing or whatever. And I told him to stop, and he didn't stop. And you're like, if he was actually doing that, girl, you should have ran the fuck out of there. There's no way you would have let that slide. Yeah. Right? And so you talk to the guy, and you hear both sides of the story. And some girls tend to have a pattern where they'll lie and do stuff like that. And they'll run to security because they know, oh, security will take my – uh will take my side every time. So you have to really learn to listen in to what people are telling you. Now, what about a dude that's like, yeah, but let's do another round, four more or five more songs. And then he doesn't pay up. Do you guys even really press the issue or you just like get out and then the club compensates the girl or does the club um, say, screw you, you should have gotten money beforehand or like what's the club, will comp- club 
club will compensate the girl. Um, will the security will escort that man to an ATM. If his card's declining and there's absolutely no way he can get the money, um, the police will be called. Really? Wow. Yeah, we have um we had this one dude racked up like three hundred dollars, didn't want to pay the girl, and we called the cops. Cops came and the cops basically said, "Pay the girl, or you're going to go to jail." Magically, this dude could pull three hundred dollars out of his account. But I mean, like, can you guys actually prove that he received the goods or the service that he's supposed to pay for? Can he just say, "No, I wasn't even in there. I don't know what you guys are talking." Dude, I was back there for three minutes, and then she kicked me out and says that I owe her 300 Absolutely not. I'm not paying that. Take me um, to court. Like, do you ever get that? We or... have cameras in the club, so we can see, you know, I mean, homeboy coming in and out, obviously. This is like a science. You guys have kind of – or, I mean, the club's kind of thought all this stuff through already. Exactly. So there's yeah. there's cameras, you know what I mean, so you can see the person coming in and out of the room. There's like – you know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of things you can do to prove, like, someone was somewhere when they were supposed to be. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And of course, people all the time are going to try it. You know what I mean? And it goes back to listen, listening closely to what the person's saying. Like, yeah. you know, time frames matching up. Like, there's no way you, you were like, you know what I mean? Back, back yeah. when I was uh, stationed in Italy, I used to, sorry, this is a little off. To, I, I mean, it's really not off topic, but it's a little bit different than what we're talking about but um <laughs> i would go out in the test this is like when i first showed up we called it the 173rd cycle where you just get basically 173rd cycle is you just get dog drunk at every opportunity you get for about six months and then you realize that that's bad and then you try to you know grow up but i was in that six month cycle i was going out every weekend sometimes during the week getting drunk and the way i would get home is like this big strip club in town had a taxi and it was kind of like one of their methods of getting you into their club is the taxi would go pick you up from wherever you were at in the city. And then when you were done at the club, the taxi would take you home wherever you were at the city. So I would just call the club, get the taxi to come pick me up, get a ride to the club. They had a big barrel of peanuts. I'd eat peanuts. And then I go like 15 minutes later, get back in the taxi. They take me back to base. I didn't have to pay for a taxi. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, the taxi companies will like uh, purposely park outside of the strip club to pick up drunk people coming out. Oh, that's towards good. like towards the end of the night when the club closes at two, they'll start pulling up 145 and they'll wait and just start picking people up. I think that's the biggest problem here in East Tennessee because, like, uh, you know, I mean, man, I haven't drank heavy since the army really actually i take that back there was one night since i've been out where i did get a little carried away not too carried away though i've been way more carried away in the army and i think in total like maybe three or four times have i consumed alcohol even a little bit or no no that's not true i had two trulies when i would go to the comedy club before i go up on stage i'd have a couple trulies just to kind of like calm my nerves a little bit um yeah. But my point is, I haven't really abused alcohol, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't mind abusing it a little bit <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. But the problem is, everything here in East Tennessee is like 30 minutes away. So Yeah, if you want to go grab something. So what, you're going you're gonna to spend $80 one way for an Uber to take you 
to town and then spend another eighty dollars to come back, come back just yeah. so you can have thirty dollars worth of drinks. You know, so it's like, and you can't drive home, obviously. So, like, what are you going to get a hotel room? Getting a hotel room would be cheaper than getting a taxi back. So, like, I feel like that's probably the biggest problem in more rural parts of America with strip clubs or bars or anywhere where you get out and drink alcohol. Is like, people are like, how do I get home? My thing is, right, I don't really, I'm not a drinker. I don't drink at all that much, you know. And I like to always drive myself because when I'm ready to leave, like, I'm leaving on my own time. Mm-hmm. And my goal is, everyone's like, oh, drink, drink, drink to send third. If I'm going somewhere for like, you know, two, three hours, average time you spend at a bar, I get one drink as soon as I get there. I get my second drink like, you know, 20, 30 minutes after. Don't drink the rest of the night. See, I don't get that. Cause like, don't get me wrong, I get not wanting to drink. And even now, after having been a raging alcoholic while I was in the army, now I don't want to really drink that much because it brings me back to the morning after and how I felt. Yeah. But even now, though, I still kind of hold the same sentiment I did back then. Like, if you're going to, like, who's drinking for the taste? Everyone drinks to get drunk, right? So, like, if you're not trying to get drunk, why have two drinks at all? Like, I'd either not drink at all or I'm getting well, drunk. Like, it's there's no... My thing is everyone's like oh come on drink drink you know what i mean like they're gonna like try to buy you drinks and i'm like oh no like i'm just gonna have one you know just like everybody's like quieting down Mm -hmm. and then like that's it if somebody else is gonna drive i'll get drunk but if i'm driving myself i'll have a drink when i first get there just because like i want to be staying there like this for three hours you know yeah everyone else around you is like sloppy drunk because then you're just gonna be like bro shut the hell up like yeah that's what i was gonna say too is like I don't like being around drunk people unless I'm also drunk. You know, I can't exactly. stand it. So yeah. I'll just have like the two drinks in the beginning and the drinks can either be, they'll be anything from like a vodka Red Bull to like good, yeah. a twisted tea, you know, nothing crazy. Yeah. And that's it. No shots, nothing extra. Just me like minding my business. And it's yeah. just to like put me in a relaxed mood because I'm going to be with all these like, you know, drunk sloppy people. Yeah. I found the hip gummies. Are kind of nice. I know you can't do that in the military, but uh, yeah. One thing I've come to notice is I know my limits, and I don't think I've, you know, knock on wood, I don't think I've ever thrown up or had a hangover or anything bad the next morning. Like, I push myself to like that. Um, like I walk the line, and then right when I'm at the line, I'm like, all right, that's it. I don't wait till I get nauseous. I don't wait till I throw up. I don't wait till like I'm stumbling. I'm always very in control of my actions Dude. when I'm drunk. <laughs> Yeah. And that's because like I never abused alcohol. I never like got drunk every like weekend, the second and third. Like I even when you know what I mean? Like when uh when we went out to the clubs in Philly, I'd probably do like three drinks, you know, drink like pregame, three drinks at the bar, and like that's it. I'd get home and I'd be fine the next morning. You know, I'd wake up, go get like an iced coffee from the store, come back, everyone's still asleep or like yeah miserable and i'm like come on get up (laughs) yeah i don't know man i I would go and get i would drink 12 beers or something then i would just go find somewhere to throw up on purpose so that i could switch to whiskey and keep going down that that drunk train and i would drink but the thing is man like you get used to it and especially if you're in the military and you have to run all the time you're drinking a lot of water all the time because you got to stay hydrated and so if you are super overly hydrated, 
and then you're throwing up all the crap, you don't really have much of a hangover in the morning, but it's still horrible for your liver and kidneys. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to have to go because I have appointments and stuff I have to run to. Oh, right. Well, uh, where Uh, can people find you? No, I'm uh, I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to do the the whole podcast thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, but no, I like this conversation that we're having. Uh, me personally, I was never, you know, a big drinker. I was never a smoker, nothing like that. I know people who would like get so drunk, they would have to do coke to like walk straight so they could drink more. And I often found myself, I'm like, well, what's going on in your life? Or like, why, like, why would someone want to destroy their body that badly? You know? Yeah. Now I have a friend and I won't say his name. Um, but he he was a really or he, I'm, he's still a good friend of mine. We don't talk much, but that's kind of the thing is like he, he's not much of a texture or a caller. It's just kind of weird if we're on the phone, you know. Yeah. Um, but we would still meet up and have some beers or whatever. But his whole life, he's been a heavy abuser of narcotics and alcohol, and like especially in the army when he couldn't have any more narcotics, he just drank a ton of alcohol. Um, and it. It still bothers me now because, like, one and I mean, the amount of tobacco. I mean, he just like, like, if you think I'm bad with like nicotine pouches and stuff, this dude was just piling in like half, three quarters of a can of Copenhagen Wintergreen at a time and just had big, huge glyphs. And, you know, he actually bought like a fancy spitter. He um, has pipes and he smokes and he used to smoke a lot of cigarettes, but he stopped that. Now he just smokes the pipe. Um, I don't know. I always feel bad for him, but he's just kind of like, screw it. Like I'm here for a good time. Not a long time. You know, I'm having fun. I don't care. I'm trying to escape. I'm depressed. Like, see, and that's the thing. Nobody ever thinks about what the long-term effects are like. Yeah. Not even just the health effects. I'm worried that my buddy's like going to hang himself one day or something. Cause like when you consume that much alcohol, you use that much narcotics. It's not a matter of opinion. It's factual. Your probability of committing suicide increases. You know, and what point does it go from, oh, I'm just having fun to like, I'm using this to escape a harsh reality? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never done co- uh, cocaine because I know how addicted and obsessed I get with stuff. And I was always just scared of it. But I know a lot of people who've done coke like once or twice in their life. One thing whatever. I realized yeah. growing up, well, as I got older, one thing I realized a lot of people do coke. A lot of people do, man. A lot we of know, doing coke. We know someone. Um, Again, won't say his name on here uh, or his gamer tag because his gamer tag is his name. <laughs> but he has a major cocaine addiction. I mean, this guy does like a ton of it um, at one time. But he'll argue with me and say that he does it once a month and that yeah. that is somehow okay. But I mean, he buys, I think it's like a gram. And he does mm-hmm. the whole gram at night, and he might go top up and get more. And he talks about having the high quality cocaine and knowing what to I, look for. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, he's just, and I worry for him too because the the dudes called me, you know, and I can't get into the details of it, but let's just say the activity wasn't necessarily in compliance with the law, um, and was rather violent and was trying to escape accountability yeah and um and i mean that's not the first time and i know it's it's only because he's blitzed on coke and 
I'm just worried, just like with my other buddy, I worry about the same thing with him too. Is like this dude's just gonna maybe not suicide. I don't really see that, but because he doesn't ever sit around and act all depressed and everything, whereas my other buddy will get drunk and do that. But this guy will go do some crazy crap. Like I'm afraid he might end up in prison or something. And then I did I did have a buddy in the army who committed suicide right before I left. And um, he was under the influence of alcohol and a lot of, and I know another friend that (laughs) I won't say his name either, but he attempted suicide at the army and like his platoon knew about it and didn't do anything. And the suicide problem is actually, was actually addressed to us when we were in Latvia because we still had to do like suicide prevention training with the chaplains or whatever. And one thing they talked about, because most of them are like psych majors and stuff, is they would say, what's weird is our combat, like the amount of combat we're exposed to has significantly decreased, but somehow the suicide rate has increased. So what's causing the suicide rate to go up? Because it's clearly not just the combat. It's also something else. And they were saying that one significant factor that they find most of the time in suicide cases in the at least in the army, because they were heavily intoxicated, you know? So, Correct. Yeah. It's it's weird because, you know, it happens a lot in the Navy too. And I feel like a lot of it is overworked, overstressed. You know what I mean? Necessarily doesn't have to be combat in the military anymore. Yeah. People are still human beings. People can only handle, you know, working 12 hours a day for like, five six seven days in a row before someone's like enough is enough i'm about to snap you know well things are also blown out of proportion in the military except arguably not blown out of proportion because it's a matter of life and death in a lot of situations they're trying to improve you but like if you don't run a five mile in 40 minutes there would be hell to pay in my platoon and i never ran a five mile in 40 minutes so there was always hell to pay for me but um everything's a big deal if there's like if your microwave is dirty you might just get smoked until lunchtime you know like there's all these different like the littlest things that normally don't matter in someone's life become like this big huge deal i feel like that increases your stress you feel a little trapped you can't leave mm-hmm. you know um you're doing something you don't want to do i yeah. mean in the navy people are on ships you know you're six seven eight nine months out at sea yeah, you know, those sub submariners. A lot of submariners commit suicide. Really? A hundred percent. There's this one dude. I think he was out to sea for like nine months or like maybe a year. The very first day he got back to, um, they landed in a port. They finally like they did their yearly rotation. He was out to sea for I believe a, a year straight. First thing he did when he got um back into his room was hang himself. Wow. That's nuts, man. And it's so sad because, like, you – I feel like when you're in that situation, you've blown things out of proportion in your own mind. Like, you're thinking this is never going to end. It is going to end. You sign a contract. Once the contract is over, you'll be out. That's it. You know, and it's – I think of, like, all the things I've had to, like, endure in the military, all the bullshit, like, yellings, meetings, Mm -hmm. the punishments, all that. I'm like – at the end of the day, it's going to pay off. You know, there's an end goal. This is not the yeah. end all be all at the end of the day. Like I have a life outside of this going home on leave for a month showed me, I have an entire life waiting for me when I get out the military. A lot of people 
often feel stuck. You know, they feel, well, I don't have anything going from the civilian world. Like, I, I have no skills. I have no real life. Ex- well, like, the Navy is my only mm-hmm. real life experience. And that's what they want you to think, out. too. And yeah. a lot of people tend to get out and go right back in. Like, a buddy of ours, I won't say any names, who recently got out of the Marines, you know, mm-hmm. he's considering going back, um, not in the Marines, but into the Army, because he's like, I miss the structure of it. I miss the, you know, the layout. You know, I had a set regime and everything. It's like, you can do anything in the world you want to do now. Yeah. Do it. You know what I mean? Too many people become uh, conditioned. And I feel like that's one thing I will never let happen to me is become conditioned to where I feel like the military is my only hope in being successful in life. Well, and I'll wrap it up with this because I know you got to go. But um, one thing I think about is I had a, you know, pretty serious girlfriend over in Italy. And we just had to split because she her whole life was in Italy. My whole life's here. And one of us would always be unhappy. If like I lived there, I'd be unhappy. If she lived here, she'd be unhappy. And so it sucked, but we had to make the split. On top of that, I went from like getting drunk, jumping out of airplanes and hanging out with my buddies all the time to not having any buddies, not jumping out of any airplanes. And in an environment where getting drunk is a, uh, um, a culture a point of concern like if you do that in the civilian world you know whereas yeah. in the military that was just like good to go but um what i did though when i got out is i just really got after it because i was like broken and depressed i just it was mainly the girl i split with the girl it just ruined me for like three months. it still bugs me you know but i made sure i did my workout i started working immediately as soon as i could i Signed up for college. I'm now in college. I was going to the comedy club and doing open mic nights. I started up this podcast. Now I'm working on two other business ideas, but like not, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but what I'm saying is like getting after it and like attacking things and just, it almost helps you. I don't want to say it distracts you. It does give you a break from that thing that's stressing you out, but it also, it's like if I would have just sat in my room and played video games. I would have been extremely depressed. You know, I had to get up and go do stuff or else, you know, so like I would give that recommendation to anyone that's getting out, like don't sit around and twiddle your thumbs or if you do just do it for like a week or two and then get busy, just get after it. That's uh, when I went home on leave. That's what I did. I spent like, you know, five days with like my family, twirling my thumbs, playing Xbox, no responsibilities at the fifth day. I called my boss. I'm like, Hey, like get me back in rotation, like at the club. Yeah. do so i need to make some sort of you know what i mean like i just can't sit here and be idle like it's fun for a week or two yeah but then like after that i'm like all right like is this it wake up play video games from like 9 a.m to like midnight wake up at like 11 o'clock in the like morning or like 12 in the afternoon or like 12 in the afternoon shit and i'm just like wow like holy shit i'm a piece of shit i'm not doing anything <laughs> proactive a common phenomenon I've seen is the first year people get out the military, they often fall into depression, feel like a failure because they aren't doing anything like they were doing in the military, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my best advice to people is the same thing as yours. Go out and do something. Take a week or two to adjust and like bring yourself back to normalcy, but get out and go do what you got to do. Like I let my hair grow out for the month. I let like my little beard grow out. You know what I mean? I like felt like normal for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, now, like, let's get back to work. And, you know, and in my opinion, definitely 
don't get dog drunk all the time right when you get out. Like, I know everybody wants to do that. I know, man. I was, I like, I remember I got out, I took a couple shots, like when I the first night I was home, and I was like, why am I doing this, man? Yeah, <laughs> for me, I'm like a very like my parties are on the weekend, right? Friday, Saturday, and that's it. I won't drink Sunday to Thursday. You know what I mean? I won't just drink in my house by myself. If I'm going to drink, it's going to be in a party setting with other people because I'm, mm-hmm. a social, you know what I mean? It's more social. It's not like I'm alone in my room, you know? Yeah, that's more appropriate. I'm going to do it socially where it's more appropriate. I'm not going to get to the point where I'm like throwing up and like blacking out, but I am going to, if I want to drink, you know, do it in the comfort of friends and in a, you know, energetic environment dancing to music enjoying myself when i'm going to if i'm going to drink i want to do it and enjoy it and be happy not associated with coping mechanisms for depression exactly man that's coping mechanism and i know you gotta go but i guess just a final thing andrew bustamante that cia spy that got out Mm-hmm. Um, I actually signed up for his little course on everydayspy.com. I, I really like the guy. I think he has a lot of good info, good knowledge. Um, and one thing he was talking about is like that they actually had to do this in the field, like when they were undercover, is you know, you and he has a PhD in social intelligence. So he's not just like some guy, you know. And so he's like, your stress level is here and your cortisol levels are here, which means you only have like that much room. And this is total. I'm totally stealing this from his video. You only have that much room to grow. And he's like, but there are things you can do to reduce your cortisol level. He's like, the first thing you could do is you got to find your quiet place. Like nothing bothers you. All the just all the thing, all your responsibilities are away. None of it matters. And then you need to get air. And he's basically talking about meditation. Like, yeah, like that helps reduce your cortisol levels. And then he was saying, and the final thing you need to do is exercise whether that's lifting weights whether that's running whether that's going for a long walk um anything like that will not only will it reduce your cortisol levels alone but it'll also cause you to breathe more which will reduce your cortisol levels and when you're doing something physically demanding you can't focus on anything other than that biologically like your mind's just on that task you know it's like so you reduce your cortisol levels this is a measurable chemical in your blood you reduce it. And so now, instead of having this much room to grow, now you have that much room to grow. He's like, now this doesn't mean that you take this and then you just enjoy life and you just don't do anything extra. He's like, this means that now you can increase, you can increase your stress levels, but you always know that while you increase your stress levels and your cortisol levels may rise, as long as you have some system in place, you can reduce, at the end of the day, you will be rested. You will reduce your cortisol levels. You'll come back to center, but you should still keep your stress levels high. And that's how you, um, you can't get away from stress. And then one of the biggest things they associate with success in business is your stress tolerance. So the more that you can withstand, the more successful you'll probably be. But exactly. Anyways, Axel, thank you for coming on. All right. No problems, Jeremiah. Thank you for having me. I hope to return soon. All right, man.